0: welcome 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 back to another episode of no head where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together this podcast is available in all the podcast apps please subscribe and rate me so i can get encouraged to do what i'm doing thank you how are you doing, breathers? That's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe. I hope you've had a great week and are keeping well. If you're new to No Head Podcast, my name is Dorothy Orca, and when I'm not doing my day job in communications, I facilitate a mindfulness meditation course at Google called Search Inside Yourself. Today's quote is from Khalil Gibran: "Your children." are not your children. They are sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. End of quote. My guest today is Mike Murungi, a trained lawyer, head of policy for Eastern Africa at Google. He says he is a father of three and husband of one. He's a passionate biker, a roller skater, a meditator, and a lover of adventure and exploration. Welcome, Mike. Welcome to No Head Podcast. Thank you. As is our practice, let's take a few moments to fully arrive Mm -hmm. by breathing in and breathing out. So what we will do is we will breathe in to a count of three, We will hold to a count of two, and then we will breathe out slowly through the mouth to a count of three. And we will do this three times. So let's begin. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. And now let your breathing return to its normal rhythm. Breathing in and breathing out. Letting your breath guide you. Letting your breath lead you. Not controlling anything, just being. Now, gently bring your attention back to the room. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dorothy.
0: I know you're an experienced meditator, so it felt good doing this and sharing your energy here. Thank you. So, I'm really thrilled to have you. I've wanted to have you on this podcast for many reasons. The other day, we were having the conversation and you're talking about your radicalization (laughs) and everyone went, you've been radicalized, what happened?
1: Yes, I think to a very large extent, I think we can all say that we are radicalized because um, to be radicalized is to have a firm set of beliefs about what is and to have that belief shape how I process the world and how I interpret things. So, I know in a lot of other forums, the word radicalized has come to mean, you know, somebody who is in the minority and they have a belief that is not, in the, that is not shared by the majority and it's often a violent or, you know, a belief that harms. So I think I was using it in just in that, in that fashion. But what I meant to say is that I have come upon an, an epiphany Um, that has changed the way I view education and the way I view bringing up a child and the way I view the role of a parent in the life of a child. And that's what I like about this idea of radicalization because that's really what No
0: Head Podcast is. It's about, you know, your beliefs, having a a different view that leads you to a different uh, perspective of doing things and, and probably a reflected way of doing things. And so talking about education, um, maybe to begin us off, what are your memories of your
1: education as a child and what... It's very interesting because I, in my early childhood days, I grew up on a farm in rural Kenya with my grandparents, my parents, my uncles, like the extended family. So and we were on a big farm that's like over 10 acres and The thing that I always remember about my childhood is having my extended family uh, around me, having the nurturing and caring presence of my grandparents, uh, my maternal grandparents uh, with me, uh, at least for my grandfather for the first six years of my life. He died when I was only six years old, but I do remember him. And for my education, I remember going to a rural school that is still there right now, though it is much improved. I went to the kind of primary school where I would go in the afternoon with big can of cow dung. I don't know if you might guess what I was for, but we were using it to carpet the classroom floor. And I remember my English teacher was my favorite teacher because I I was very good in English, it was my favorite language. And I remember aspiring to be like my mom, who was then also a teacher. So that's, that's, that, those are the memories that really stick out. You know, Me playing around in the farm with my cousins, me being surrounded by my extended family, and me going to this school that uh, was, by today's standards, very rural and not very developed, and me being the leading student in a class in early primary school in, in, in English. And that's
0: not really the sort of um, upbringing your children who are born in the city are having. What has changed for them and what has shifted?
1: Yeah, I think a lot has changed because I remember, for example, I took my two daughters uh, who are much older. Queli, the last born, is only a year old now, so she she wasn't part of this trip, but, um, My two daughters who are now nine years and six years old, we went back like on a journey for them to see the footsteps that I walked uh, from my grandfather's farm to my school. And Maya, who is six years old, asked me, Papa, why did you have to walk to school? Is it because uh, Ntagu, Ntagu is uh, my father. Mm -hmm. Um, It it means, the word means grandfather. Right. Uh, Is it because Ntagu refused to pay for your school bus fees or money, and it was so funny, right. uh, and she couldn't imagine where someone would walk several kilometers to school. Right. Uh, maybe it is because they're being punished by their parents for not, uh, and, and made, made to walk to school. She couldn't imagine that, you know, we didn't have school buses. But more fundamentally, I think, what was there at that time, which is very different from now, uh, in my experience, is the whole idea of education. So it was about sitting in a classroom, and I think it still exists in some form in quite a number of schools now. They're sitting in this room that has four walls, there's a talking head at the front who is seen to be the oracle or the source of all knowledge. And uh, my role as a student is to sit still and be passive and listen. In fact, the people who would be punished the most were those who were able to sit still because of, you know, the childhood in them would not let them sit still. And those who comply and sit still and listen and work on getting a good grade and proceed to some decent secondary school thereafter, uh, and probably get a job in probably a bank or some other organization, they would fit the definition of being a good student to succeed. But what I'm seeing now different from my daughters first is that there are so many options in terms of how we think about education. It is not necessarily sitting in a classroom. It could be virtual. Uh, your teacher could be somebody who is not necessarily you know, in your country, let alone in your village. Uh, it could be somebody that you you only know as a teacher, not as you know, someone who is also a neighbor or whose family you've met across uh, the ridge. And it, it could be that the goal of teaching is not to load the student with information and facts, which they later probably apply and then they are rewarded for it with a salary. But the goal would be to empower the child to realize uh, what they want for themselves and to open the eyes of the child to the world and to empower them to face the world boldly, confidently, and make the best of themselves, whatever that definition is for them, as opposed to the teacher and the school defining what is best. So in a nutshell, I think that, I would say that is the biggest difference between the way I was educated then, and I'm not blaming anybody. It was the way it was. And you turned out out quite fine, if I may say so. Well, maybe I could have turned out better.
0: Or (laughs) worse? (laughs) Yes. But you've talked about two things. So we're going to unpack that. This idea of letting, empowering the children to know what they want and allowing them to be. Before you had kids, had you made a firm decision with your wife that... This is how we're going to raise
1: kids or is it something that just evolved as you you had your first child no actually yeah you're right i mean it was only recently that like i mentioned i um, i became radicalized in terms of education where we came upon the idea of self-directed education and we came to learn that there is schooling which is one paradigm of education uh, going to a school like I described I did during my childhood days and then there is homeschooling where the child is not in a school environment and um, but they are brought into a home environment but with all the other hallmarks of the school environment they're probably the caning uh, or corporal punishment as we call it here if they misbehave and they're still within four walls it's just that it's the four walls of a house mm-hmm. and they have a like a resident tutor could be a parent or you know, or a learning coach. And then there's another paradigm, and that paradigm is unschool, where the whole concept of a child being in a formal institution or a formal structured environment of learning is completely exploded. And what we have is the idea that the best education a child can get is by interacting with the world around them. So. No, we did not figure that that would be the way we would want our children to be educated by the time that we were having our first kid, Nia, who is now nine years old. And indeed when Nia was born, we, and as she grew, we knew we were going to take her to a conventional school where you know she wears uniform, and we did that mm-hmm. for, the early, for the early years. But it wasn't until we came upon a friend of ours who was doing homeschooling, who invited us to a seminar, that we came upon the idea of homeschooling, and we were very skeptical because we thought, how, how can this work? The child will miss out. How mm-hmm. will they compare with the other kids? How do you structure a home environment for a child to learn as effectively as a structured learning? But, you know, we toyed with it a bit, and then we thought it was too much because we were trying to do it ourselves. But mm-hmm. now during the pandemic, when the kids closed, they are at home for long, long extended periods of time. And we started experimenting with other forms of schooling and learning. We now actually came across the idea of self-directed education and right. uh, homeschooling. That's how we arrived there. It wasn't something without. Right. It, it's it's it, we were on another paradigm of education, and now we met with this new idea, and we became radicalized. More recently, actually, it's as fresh as last year, actually. And so your firstborn Maya, yeah.
0: who has Nia. been through uh, Nia, who has been sorry Maya is the secondborn Nia, who was the firstborn has been through this change. How is she reacting to it? How is she absorbing this? What does
1: she like? Right, so it's very interesting in the feedback she's given because so a typical day in her learning experience looks like this. So she would, of course, wake up about 7 or 7.30. Again, on that point, actually, I really resented the idea that a child should wake up so early in the morning. I've heard of kids waking up at five AM. I never understand that. And and it's their, so painful. School bus yeah. for I don't know an hour or traffic. With you. Right. And sometimes they have to be fed breakfast so so quickly. Some teachers tell me that the kids arrive at school and they vomit because first of all they are so afraid of the parents mm. because they have to finish their food quickly before the bus gets here. So anyway, uh, so we try to have a relaxing environment. Mm. Um, we don't we don't set any hard Rules around oh you have to wake up at this time and set an alarm. We let them of course go to bed early, as early as eight thirty pm, and then naturally they found their own rhythm. And by seven thirty, between seven thirty and eight, they are up. So for Nia, our firstborn, she would start you know meet with her home tutor or learning coach by nine thirty after she's had a breakfast. And this is all online. No, so the, the home tutor would be in person. Ah, right, they would, would come, come home. home. Yes. Okay. And they would go through some basic lessons that, uh, based on things that um, she has chosen to do from what we call the international uh, curriculum, like, I think it's called the IGCSE curriculum. Okay. She would probably do a language, she would do grammar. And then at 11, oh, now they've ch- change it to noon, she would go online on a platform where she would engage with a few other kids from around the world, mediated by a teacher. And this would be like a virtual classroom. But this activity is mostly for clubs. So they would have a 30 minutes check-in where all the kids who are on that platform would share about the experience for the week mm-hmm. and what they're working on. And then within the week, she would go to various club activities online within that platform. So mm-hmm. she would have a tutor for right now she does coding so she would be in a coding class with other kids mm. uh, mediated by a tutor again what? online she would do filmmaking these are activities that she's chosen as club activities right she's um chosen gaming this gaming club she, she she likes to play roblox it's a new game that is a fun among kids right now yeah. um and so she would be in, like probably a Every week, every day in a week, she would have about an hour or two hours of some club activity. But every day at noon is the 40 or so, or so minutes of checking in with the class teacher, where all the kids actually congregate and share about the experience. And mm. be presentations, they'll be talking about what they did for the weekend, what what, what did they do for Christmas when they came back from from vacation. Yeah, and then in between, she would be also connecting with a learning home learning coach about maybe spanish uh they'll be playing between and then friday it's a free day where she can go and play with her sister so so yeah just so to answer your question so her experience has been that first when she started she was missing her friends um, right i can imagine yeah from the regular school um but then she realized she was also making some good friends online from other countries as well and that she was having fun with the online activity. But we told her, you know, you don't have to lose your friends. You can mm-hmm. still go and visit your friends wherever they are at home, or maybe maybe even at school if you want. We can ask the school to allow us to go back and you can say hello to your friends, and you can keep in touch with them. Mm-hmm. So the end of school doesn't mean that you, you cannot still keep in touch with those friends. And yeah, and she's been really engaging. She's able to structure her own day according to the time, set her own alarms, attend, mm-hmm. Our own club activities when they are due, do our own presentations, prepare our own presentations, uh, speak before you know this teacher and this class, mm-hmm. and and direct herself on what kind of club activities that she wants and pick and drop something if she doesn't enjoy it. Right. So yeah, that's that's a, that has been her experience. I wish she was here to say maybe I, I don't even a fair representative of her experience. Oh,
0: I must start right. on the podcast then. I must <laughs> talk to her when Daddy's not there. But, you know, you've talked about she's clearly enjoying learning and most importantly, she she doesn't have to wake up that early. I really think that it's not good for children. But when I look at the Kenyan objectives, you know, the the early development, child development in Kenya and what education you should strive for, it actually almost talks about the same things you're talking about this idea that a child should enjoy living and learning we should develop their self-esteem their self-confidence so what is what is different because clearly they're the same objectives by the government and the ones that you have for your
1: family It is so true it is so true because actually probably if i go back to the way that teaching was done when i was going to early schooling Mm -hmm. maybe those objectives are still the same but i think the big difference is how those objectives are applied and um, how those objectives are interpreted by Mm -hmm. our educators and our teachers i see a lot of um, pushing and cajoling Mm -hmm. of students you feel like you know these students have been put in this confined space where they are prodded and controlled and and you know managed and there's a lot of rules. The rules are fine, but I feel then the way that some of those objectives are applied is very constraining to the experience. Right. Because it's not even so much about a system. I mean, my children could do any system, but as long as they are under the tutelage of a teacher or an educator who understands those objectives, who connects with the primary reason for those objectives and who understands, um, you know, the role of a child, as you know, as Khalil Gibran said, um, you know, your children are not your children. They are the daughters and sons of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not yours. You know, if a teacher sees that, and if a teacher knows that, their role as a teacher is to stand out of the light of a student and to enable the student to pursue their path, and that. Young kids come with this inborn curiosity and um, inborn directedness, and they want to be able to pursue things that interest them, as opposed to being cajoled and being structured on what they think their life, what, what adults think their life should be. Then that teacher will be very empowered to empower the student. But uh, so the difference is in how the educator or the tutor or the teacher, in this case, understands and applies those objectives right and we were talking with me who was my guest a few weeks ago and she'd
0: say the problem with with our system and our curriculum is that teachers know that they need to finish this much content and they need to finish it by the end of the year so there's no room for exploration for being inquisitive and letting the child it's like mike pay attention finish because there's so much content in the syllabus that you need to finish
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's
0: always about the syllabus and the content. It's never about the child. And what if the child takes a different path? And can I allow the child to explore and to be inquisitive?
1: Right. I mean, you know, we started this podcast with a meditation, Mm -hmm. you know, like being in the now. The tragedy about what I see happening in some schools is that it is never about the now, but it's about some future. It is about, this kid will be a great this, a great that. Not, they are not great now. I never they, thought about it in the the that future. sense, exactly. And I always yes. remember watching a show where uh, this child was dancing, it was a child protege, it was a talk show. And the host put some music and the child was dancing and you know doing all these kind of things. And the host asked the child, so what do you want to be when you grow up? So do you want to be a dancer when you grow up? The child said, I am a dancer. (laughs) And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) So and and don't if you look at any school motto, just look at any school motto, and I dare you to find any school motto that is not about the future. There's none that is about the present. You're right. So you hear things like heading towards (laughs) or onwards or excellent or future or something. Yes. And the trouble striving for excellence. Exactly. And the trouble with that. I mean, those who compose the models are. I mean, it's well intended. I understand, but the trouble with this is that it brings this this way of thinking, this paradigm, mm-hmm. in children, that there is some future to aspire to. The present doesn't matter. I need to get there. Uh, I need to get ahead of the competition. I need to get to. I need to be number one, mm-hmm. and not not the last in my class. So there is no possibility of cooperating and winning together. It is me winning, everybody else losing, mm. and me getting it all before everyone else gets it. Mm. And do you know what kind of culture that produces? Yeah, I so think so. So you don't have to, right. don't have to explain. Right. So so I think the problem is this obsession with the future mm. and time bound, this kind of structured environment mm. that doesn't, to your point, leave in a room for a child to explore their interests. It is Do geography now and finish this syllabus by this time, and then just move on. Do history now, do chemistry now. But you find that there's so much knowledge in those books, there's so much that they can apply, but it is all bookish. Like, Mm -hmm. even when I got to class 8, I knew so much about potato blight, which is a disease that affects potatoes. But my grandmother's crops were suffering from potato blight, but I couldn't help her because what I was doing was dealing for an exam. I wasn't preparing for for helping anyone in life. It was, I pass the exam, go to secondary school, go to university, get a job, Mm -hmm. sit behind a desk or computer all day, and earn a salary, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's why now we have the whole generation, a very big portion of the population, and I saw this statistic. I think it was a research based in the US Mm -hmm. that over 60% of people feel very dissatisfied about their jobs. Mm. And they feel disconnected from their purpose. And and, and I think this was even done with, you know, high-achieving, blue-chip, Fortune 500, maybe even Silicon Valley people. And the reason for that is because they may have gone through that system, you know, that put them through, you know, like a production line without so much as an inquiry as to who am I Mm. and what makes me tick and what are my interests? And what, what can I contribute to this world beyond, you know, having this factory kind of a job? Right. So, so they have that structure and that not being in the now. And that's why I like to, you know, help and support my kids to meditate. So mm. they can also be present to, to the now and to not rush them and to always listen. And, mm. you know, I always like to say that, you know, I'm, I'm also learning. It's, it's been a learning environment more for me than I was even for my kids learning how to be myself, how to be a human being, mm. how to be a father, how to be a parent, how to be patient, and how to let another human being under whom, you know, I've been entrusted with the care, you know, to not damage them by thinking that I'm I'm helping. Right, and, and in fact, it's so good you talk about that because
0: I know that in the office, you've always told us how you live vigorously through your children, and yes. you are enjoying a childhood you did not have. What are some of the lessons, and what are some, I know that you learned roller skating because you needed to do that with your daughter, and you were like, we're going to do this together. What are some of those lessons you've learned, you know, in just letting yourself go and letting
1: your children lead? I think the biggest lesson for me has been my emotional balance. First, there's a time that I thought I was going to be single all my life. But uh, thank God, I I got married to enjoy a wonderful, (laughs) wonderful lady. And then, so I, adjusting to this uh, environment of a family and um, my schedule being, having to yield to uh, being a father and being a husband, Uh, there's a lot of pools, there's a lot of uh, bargaining that has to be done in terms of time, um, priorities. Budgets and more, and even most directly for me, you know, emotions. emotions. Uh, Because when you share a space with another human being who is on a different level of thinking, that is a child, Mm. uh, it is possible to be very quickly upset and to want to impose my structure on them. But the greatest actually lesson has been for me to know that I I need to observe myself Mm. in how I respond to whatever my child is doing, Mm. to see myself and to create this space before I act, mm. you know, and to act with, with care mm. and with, with love. But yeah, like you mentioned, roller skating, it's been amazing because um, it's great to experience myself as a child again. There are many things I didn't get to do. Roller skating was one of them because we didn't have very smooth surfaces then where, where, uh, in my grandfather's farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. when I was taking my daughter to roller skating, and I figured I can't just be sitting there watching her do it. It right. looks like she's having so much fun. <laughs> what can <laughs> I do it? You didn't want to miss out FOMO. No, no. And, and I figured another learning for me, Dorothy, another experience for me actually was that um, it is. Um, I've, I realized I've, I got this freedom. Mm. And I, I didn't realize I was in a prison. And that prison was. What other people think about me? Right. Isn't that our prison? It For is. most of us. And and you know it's like mm. it's like you're you're given a key and you're like, why are you giving the, the key and you and the person tells you you're in, in prison, get out? And I'm like, what prison? And 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 that and that I realized that because I was asking when I wanted to do trailer skating and mm. 47, and I'm like, what are people gonna think seeing this forty-something guy wearing shoes yes. that have wheels on them? And right. What the hell is this he thing, you know. What the hell is he thinking? And I'm thinking about what he'll be asking. And right. His mind. right. And what will we for fall? And people laugh at me. Mm. You know? And I realized, why is that holding me back? Why should it be, a, you know, um, such a big hold on me? And I figured that was true not just for roller skating, but so mm. many other areas in my life, life. Right. And I looked at my daughter roller skating, and I was like, she doesn't have a care in the world. What I think. If she falls, she might cry, dust herself off come to me, get a hug, and she'll go back doing it. I mean, mm. like a few minutes after. Right. But for me, oh, I have to be seen to not be falling, or I want to trade in the dark, or in like, it's right. right. but, you know, getting free from that, and I can't even say that I'm free completely of it in other mm. areas of my life. Mm. I, left, I felt such a burden lift off me, mm. you know? Uh, and it's not to say I don't care about other people, I do, but not in the sense that their opinions, rank higher to what i think of myself Right, right. Yeah.
0: how did your dog, daughter how does how did she react to her being with her dad and and roller skating and yeah. sometimes daddy must be better than her sometimes she's better than higher. daddy how has
1: how has that been and how has that been for your bonding it's been good eventually i progressed on this sk- roller skating that she could catch up with so i now do my roller skating separately because i'm not I'm not a road legal in the sense of I'm um, skating on even walkways and all this. You know, it's funny because I thought she was gonna show me off to her friends and look my dad's but actually she she was mortified by the idea that I could possibly wear skates and be with her because I think if I fell or, or and i embarrassed her. I embarrassed her. you know, I didn't this one I was at a place where she was with her friends and I and there was good music and I tried to dance and <laughs> She almost, like, <laughs> was looking for the ground to swallow and I was like, what Dad, are you doing? Don't do this, don't yeah. do this. So, so yeah, so she's uh, released me from my skating and she said, okay, you go do your skating, I'll do mine. But, you know, at some point, uh, hopefully we can be a skating duo.
0: Right, why not? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. And I also love the fact that, you know, when you
0: talked about space, about creating emotional space before you react and for her, it reminded me of Viktor Frankl's quote, you know, he yeah. says, between stimulus and response, yes. there is a space. Right. And in that space lies our power to choose. And, and yes. I like that because it has to be intentional. Yeah.
1: And in our choice lies our power and our freedom. Exactly. I love, that's one of my favorite
0: quotes. Me too, that's one of my favorite. I always remember and I'm, so that's not the only thing you've learned from your kids. You're also learning how to play the violin.
1: Oh, how did I miss that? Yes! Yes, <laughs> Yes. so the violin, the moment I realized that um, I have been under this constraint of what other people think or even more, even more this constraint of some things i only done at a certain age. So now I have a very big motorbike and I like to go on rides because I love the thrill of a big engine mm-hmm. um, and you know, cruising around. The other day I just did like 1200 kilometers um, and I know I love it. we'll talk about your biking in a little while because I think that and for the violin you know I just told myself at some point especially after I started building these onions of, of of being in prison mm. as I may call them right I asked myself what have, what have I always loved to do and and what are those things that really attract my curiosity and and call me powerfully to be and uh, violin happened to be one of them and I I remember when I would listen to music, classical music, I would love the violin pieces. I would love the soothing nature and how mm-hmm. melodious and sensual this music is. And I asked myself, you know, I could create that. It could be me playing that. Uh, yeah, my daughter was did a few violin lessons. Uh, she now wants to do something else. I don't know if it's a piano.
0: Is that your first or the second?
1: Uh, my first one. Okay, uh, yeah. all right. Uh, Maya, uh, second one, she's into dancing, so we are you, you doing some care? dancing with her? We do a lot of dancing yeah, um, on front of the TV. Mm. Uh, by the way, Maya is not modified by my dancing with her. <laughs> and, and we, we try to get Maya to a, a dance, a dance, dance school. But yeah, I, I figured, why can't I play the violin? And by the way, this goes back to my schooling. I remember we had music in primary school as a, as a mm. class. But the way it was at that time, because of the lack of resources, it was theoretical. So you were being taught what is a semi-quiver, what is a crochet, what is a, what is a stuff, those lines, mm-hmm. do, re, mi, fa, so. There's no instrument. It's like <laughs> learning computer science without a computer. It's, it was just, it was just, and I. It never, was part of the curriculum. It was part of the curriculum, it mm-hmm. had to be done. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. I'm telling you, I really hated music. I never liked it at all. And honestly, I never liked the teacher. And um, it was hard. It was hard because. Um, but when I came out and I told myself, if it had been me at that time being told as a young child, here's a violin, here's someone playing a violin, listen to it, I think something would have clicked. And I'd be like, oh, I love that. I would like to play that. You'd have been probably a classical musician by uh, <laughs> <Yeah>, now. <laughs> who but knows? Maybe it's not too late. <laughs> so anyway, so I said, look, um, I'm looking at the violin and I like it. And I've always loved violin music. I could teach myself something piece by piece. Oh, but YouTube is a good teacher. Just I, start I like with YouTube. You. <laughs> yes, yes. with YouTube. Recently, so I YouTube. realized I'm slowing down. So I took on a few lessons. It's mm-hmm. like remote. It's um, right. virtual, but it's by uh, a teacher who's really good, and I'm um, beginning to see some very good progress. Yes. Right. So, so I am really actually my plan is later, when I'm retired, not in very many years, mm. I want to be just going and performing the violin pieces. Mm. Not necessarily for money, but for fun. Right, because be it, it brings joy to you. Right, and right. I want, at some point, I want to play the violin and roller skate at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I will not say anything. We'll ask
0: last we'll year what do you think about daddy playing and learning? <laughs> Talking about this I really enjoy the fact that you you're letting your your children your daughters be who they want to be but I wonder sometimes if it's because you are in this position you've got a, this you know a job you're alive you're doing that what would happen the, the fear for most parents is what if I'm not there will this stop their learning if Mike is not there how does that change your children's learning? And would they be then go on to be musicians, to be roller skaters, to be, and not be the doctors, engineers, lawyers, like you are a lawyer, trained lawyer, which were the professions that our parents preferred?
1: Yeah, so if, if I worry, if I'm not there? Yes. No, not much. I think um, I, I, again, because it's um, futuristic, I try to not worry too much about it, but um, it's an important thing to reflect on. And that's a very good point because I also, because the whole idea of, of death and what it means mm. and even how to relate to it as a parent right. is something else. But, but I don't know, I don't worry about it. I I think that um, if I'm not here and I'm survived by anyone mm. who knows me and has a charge of our kids, mm-hmm. they know what I stood for. Um, I've shared with them what the structure is that I've built around the education of uh, my kids, okay. and I know they'll be supporters to continue. And the kids themselves know, right. um, and I teach them, to, you know, to to never look down upon anyone mm. and to never look up to anyone. To know that what is what is within them mm. is what they need to nurture. So um, I'm very confident that if even if I'm not around. Mm. Um, maybe if I'm not around and they're still young, they still have that environment that is there because I will still be continued by their mm. Arm, mm. Uh, my relatives, my grandparents, right. everybody, and even among even themselves, they will speak out and they'll say this doesn't look right and this is how I prefer to do it. This is how we've done it, and uh, and so they have a voice. And, and they you've they taught them to have that, a voice. Yes. Yes. Right. So, but, but anyway, it doesn't concern me a lot. Mm. Um, of course, i have miss them. Mm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you'll <lot> be there. <laughs> but I'll be in a better place. Right.
0: And so are you seeing, when you look at the future, are there what would, you know, make you happy for them? You know, to see yeah. them achieve, you know how? If yeah. Maya wants to be
1: a dancer, so will it be? Yeah, actually, yeah. Even For me, actually, I would say that... Um, the challenge i experienced was with school my parents were very progressive they still are and they also let me explore and you know be the person that i want to be Mm. they always they always understand i think the challenge is the school environment that um, i really struggle and so it will be the same for me and my my kids and what i would want them what i would want for them is for them to be happy to live happy and fulfilling lives whatever happy and fulfilling means for them so i will not necessarily like tell them you know, this is a profession of, you know, we've heard of stories of where parents say, this is a course you're going to take, this is what you're going to be, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. That doesn't produce anything other than a robot, really. Um, It doesn't produce a human being who is, um, you know, who is happy. They probably might make the parents happy, but uh, that'll be a broken human being Mm -hmm. who's not living their life. So, mine is to tell them that anything that I can do to give them the power to, be themselves mm. to be authentic and to you know face the world with confidence with love and with compassion i will mm. give them that mm. so some of these things that you know we do for the kids they are expensive i mean um some of the courses some of the adventures we have to take right they're not cheap mm. but you know but i know that you know um you really can't put a price tag on life experience right That it and fulfills so i think i would want for them to be, to make the most of themselves and to be happy um, Mm. and to live the life that they want for themselves.
0: And I think that's such a positive way with the right message to end the podcast, that we would let our children be happy and fulfilled, let them be authentic, let them face the world with confidence and compassion and lead the lives that they they want to, not the lives that we want. And what a challenge to, to every parent, every auntie, every uncle, anyone who has to take care of children. Thank you so much, Mike.
1: Thank you, Dorothy. It's been Mark. great. This Thank been you. Great.
0: Well, that's all today in No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment and navigate life together. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Instagram, NoHeadPodcast. Catch you next time, my friend. May you be free from what others think of you. May you be curious and do what your heart has always desired. And may you release your children to be who they need to be. Bye-bye.